Um, I want to talk about a different kind of freedom as we're leading into the next five weeks, really beginning today. And I want to talk about a freedom that God has given to, to each of us, um, or at least the opportunity for freedom that God has created. I want to ask a question that really is the impetus for this whole series, and it's the title for the series is, What is the Gospel? You know, that might, that might seem on face value to be a, a simple question for many of us who have, have grown up in the church, but if you didn't grow up in the church, that might be a, a pretty critical question. In fact, I would even guess that for many of us who even grew up in the church, that if we were to be asked, what is the gospel, there would be an awful lot of folks who would not be able to articulate what the gospel really is. And I find that kind of scary. I find it tragic. I, I find it sad. I find, I find it a challenge. And so, I think the next five weeks, it would be good for us to examine perhaps the central question for Christianity. What is the gospel. The last uh, several weeks, we finished a series, not last week, but two weeks ago, we finished a series that we were talking about um, God's design of salvation, particularly from His perspective. And we talked about the cross, and we talked about the necessity of the cross, the necessity for, for Jesus Christ to suffer an excruciating death, and how that, that satisfied God's great justice. I think that there's times that people will say, well, God didn't give us His justice, He gave us His love. Well, no, He, he demonstrated both. You see, God is a perfect, just God and a holy God. He can't just say, oh, you know what, I'm throwing justice, justice out of the window and I'm just going to demonstrate love. His justice needed to be satisfied. And that was satisfied through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. Well, then God affirmed his, his um, acceptance of Jesus' perfect sacrifice by raising him by the power of God the Father on the third day, and we call that the resurrection. That's where we celebrate Easter, and as we talked uh, several weeks ago, we talked about how the biblical name for that, to follow in the biblical tradition, would be first fruits, how Jesus was the first fruits of many. Well, then, Jesus didn't end the work there. You see, 40 days after he was resurrected, he ascended into heaven, and that's necessity so that Jesus can now be interceding on our behalf to God the Father. We, we see, according to the Scriptures, that Jesus is now seated at the right hand of God the Father in a, in a place of authority, in a place of significance, and that when we as Christians sin, that if we've been covered by the blood of Jesus, he tells God the Father, they've been covered. They've been atoned for by, by my perfect sacrifice. And so, according to the book of Hebrews, Jesus is our high priest. Well then, Jesus didn't leave us there. You see, according to John chapter 14, chapter 15, and 16, Jesus said, listen, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send, I'm going to send a comforter, a paraclete to you, and that is the, how we have received the gift of the Holy Spirit. You see, on Acts chapter 2, Pentecost, which 
By the way, Pentecost, which we talked about a few weeks back, is, is really a harvest festival that the Jews had celebrated for thousands of years. June 8th, which is two Sundays from now, is actually Pentecost Sunday. And what the, the Jews would do is they would have a special Sabbath, a special celebration day to where they would celebrate the barley harvest and the wheat harvest. And so God sent His Holy Spirit on this day that they celebrate the harvest, kind of fitting, right? And so that's Pentecost. So that's God's package of salvation from his viewpoint. Now what happened in Acts chapter 2 as a response to all this, the apostle Peter, who becomes the leader of that band of ragtag apostles, stands up and he gives what we call a sermon. He stood up and he said, I'm going to tell you about this great Jesus Christ. And in Acts chapter 2, you had the presentation of the gospel for the first time. And if you, if you go through the, the four Gospels, what we call the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll be hard-pressed to find the word gospel. The Apostle Paul uses it many times. The Apostle Peter in, in his letters uses it. But we've we got to ask the question, what is the gospel? The, the gospel, at its very essence, should be the center of Christianity, because it is the gospel and the power of God's gospel that saves us. And so for us as, as Christians, in order for us to be saved, we have to at one time embrace and receive and, and just learn to love the gospel, which I find kind of fascinating because at one time we had to receive this and embrace it, and yet why are we at times, so, so challenged to define it. I bet you if we were to kind of go around the room and do a little exercise and ask each of, uh, each of you to individually define the gospel, we would probably end up with a, an awful lot of different answers. We might hear some answers like this. Um, God loves you, and he has a wonderful plan for your life. That's the gospel. Some people would say that that's the gospel. Others might say, well, the gospel is that God will forgive you your sins if you believe in him. And, and they would say, well, that's, that's the gospel. Um, others would say the gospel is that you're a child of God, and of course God wants the best for his children. And so God wants to love all of his children. Still others uh, might simply say that the gospel is simply admitting that Jesus is your Savior. And then there would be some others who would probably say, you know, part of the gospel has to focus around the cross and the resurrection. And so in their definition of the gospel, they would probably give a little bit of that. Uh, something that would talk about Jesus' death on the cross and then his, his resurrection uh, from the grave. Why then... I guess the question becomes, why then do we have so many different definitions of the gospel? Why is that such a challenge for us to define it succinctly? You know, um, by the way, I, I have a handout stuck inside of your bulletin. If you want to follow along, you're welcome to. You can write some things on, we'll have up here on the screen. That's kind of where I want to go to now. Because at the heart of Christianity is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, let, let me be very clear. It is impossible to be a Christian without knowing the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's impossible to become a Christian 
without embracing fully the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yet so many, so many of us have attended church perhaps for our entire lives and we can't articulate the gospel. And I've heard some Christians say, well, I don't need to know the gospel because that's the pastor's job. And I think, well, that's just like saying, well, I don't need to know what makes my car go because I just drive it. Do you know what you need to put into your car to make it go? Oh, I don't need to know that. You see what I'm saying? It's kind of like the gospel is what makes Christianity go. And if we say, oh, we don't need to know what the gospel is, it's just like saying, oh, I don't need to know what makes my car go. We need to know what this great gift of salvation looks like. We've, we've heard four weeks of talking about God's richness in His salvation and, and what that looks like, but do we know how to embrace it and do we know how to articulate it? I, I, I want to say this. How can you be saved by something that you trust and not know how to explain that which you profess to believe. Do you see the challenge there? Do you see the the fascinating question that I have? How can you be saved by something that that you say that you believe, but yet not be able to articulate that which you believe? Because the question then becomes, well, how do you know what to believe? Because you can't tell me what you believe. We're called by the Apostle Paul. He tells Timothy, always be prepared in season and out of season to give reason for the hope that is within you. What is he really talking about at the essence there? He's not talking about apologetics and giving all these different reasons why logically it makes sense to follow Jesus. He's talking about the gospel. Always be ready to be able to articulate and share the gospel because that is the very reason why you have hope. The good news of Jesus Christ. By the way, I place the blame on our current crisis in Christianity. I place that blame squarely on the shoulders of church leaders across the globe. I, I, I put that blame right there with, with, with church leaders, not just pastors, but church leaders that have failed to clearly communicate what the gospel is, clearly communicate what um, the gospel is not, and then deliver it. In fact, I, I want to say it in this way, the overall church, especially here in the United States, especially here in the United States, we're guilty of this, has failed to clearly define what the gospel is, defend what the gospel is and what the gospel is not, deliver that message clearly, and then disciple that into Christians' lives. We have failed to define, defend, deliver, and disciple. And that, in my opinion, is why the gospel is such a challenging thing for so many people to define. The the blame lies on the shoulders of the church, which is sad. By the way, what ends up happening then is you end up having a lot of, of churches that are preaching false gospels. And then you have undiscerning Christians who don't know what the gospel is, 
if they're Christians at all, and then they don't know how to embrace it or how to reject it. You see, we have to learn to sift through our sifter the messages that pastors are teaching and speaking. We can, listen, I know this might sound crazy, but not every pastor, not every church teaches a biblical truth. I, I think sometimes that, w- that we just think, oh, well, they're using the Bible as a, as a reference, or they're using the Bible as a footnote, so they've got to be teaching that which is correct. And the truth and the reality of it is, is oftentimes what ends up happening is it twists and it mutilates the gospel. Let me just kind of say a couple things. The evidence that the gospel hasn't been clearly defined is, in my opinion, revealed by so many definitions of the gospel. That's why we have so many people defining the gospel in the different, different ways, because the Bible's very clear in its presentation and its delivery and its discipleship of the gospel, so why don't we just deliver it in that way? The evidence that the gospel hasn't been clearly defended, in my opinion, is revealed by the existence of so many false gospels. There are, there are pastors that when I see them on TV or sometimes I hear them on the radio or sometimes I've sat in the pews, that, it, that when they're teaching something, it's like fingernails going across the chalkboard and I just want to cover my ears or throw something at the TV and say, that's not it. You're deceiving people. You know, you're literally leading people away from the biblical gospel. And and it breaks my heart. I think it breaks the heart of God too. The evidence that the gospel isn't being clearly delivered is revealed by people still not knowing nor hearing the gospel. Think about this. If we haven't done a good job of defending the gospel and defining the gospel, how can we expect Christians to be able to deliver the gospel? How can we expect them to be able to clearly articulate to, the, to their friends and colleagues and, and neighbors what the gospel is? We know that they're, they're without hope and they're going to hell and we have the most beautiful gift to offer them and, and we don't know how to tell them about that. You, you know, there's times, have you ever done people watching? And, and there's times that, that I sit and I, I'll... Um, be waiting for maybe Jamie's in a store and shopping and I'll be sitting and I'll be just watching people walk by and, and it will hit me that I wonder how many of these people have not heard the gospel. How many of these people are maybe amazing people but their destiny is hell. And we... We aren't sharing the good news. Why? Out of fear. Because we're afraid that we're going to offend someone. Jesus came so that he would separate households. Now, that doesn't sound like oftentimes what we think of because, right, in in our American culture, tolerance is lifted high. and, And we tolerate an awful lot of garbage in the name of not offending. Listen, you can't be a Christian, deliver the gospel, and not offend. Jesus was the stumbling block that the builders rejected. And and we're afraid to share the gospel 
because what if they don't like me after I tell them the good news of Jesus Christ? It's like saying, oh, the house is burning. I know the way out. Bye. What do we do? We, we oftentimes, it's, it's built into us that we want to drag them out, right? We want to snatch them away from the fire. That's what the gospel is. We're snatching people from the fires of hell. That's how precious this is. You and I, listen, we're hot embers as Christians. You and I were snatched from the pits of hell. And if that is the truth and the reality of the gospel, shouldn't it be precious to us? Shouldn't it be significant to us to, to change us and just want to share it with everyone? The evidence, by the way, that the gospel hasn't been discipled into Christians is revealed by so many Christians lacking the ability by, to articulate the gospel. And I've got to say this, as an indictment against churches in the United States, here in the United States, and particularly the United States is the most guilty country around the globe for this. We have, we have tried to prop the gospel up with all kinds of wrong ideas. We've tried to make the gospel more normal or, or, or more secular or more like the world. When that's the point of the gospel, the point of the gospel is that we're not like the world. We need to be different than the world. And yet we want to make the churches more like the world. And what it ends up doing is churches lose their power and their potency. We've propped the gospel up with all kinds of wrong ideas, and what it ends up doing is it waters down the gospel, which produces a massive, and let me use the word massive again, massive amount of people who don't know the gospel nor the power of God because they've never really experienced the gospel in the first place. That's why we have so many Christians today that are looking for something more than what they've already experienced in Christianity. They'll say, is this all that it is? They're waiting to, they're waiting to, to next Sunday to where they can be entertained again and to where they can get the flash and the pump and the circumstance and be jazzed up again. And that's not the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel comes from the Spirit of God. And when we clearly understand and see and embrace and love the gospel, there's a power that comes to the Christian that supersedes anything that we can ever try to manufacture on a Sunday. That is the power of the gospel. My motivation of the series is to curb this current crisis, because I, I believe it begins here. I be, believe it begins with a crisis of definition. I believe that it begins with a crisis of defining what the gospel is and what the gospel is not. Sometimes it's, it's easier to define what the gospel is not rather than what it is. But you and I have to be able to, to hear pastors, have to be able to hear teachers, have to be able to turn on the radio and listen and say, that's not the gospel. That's the gospel. 
Because if that is what's snatching us right from the flames of hell in the grip of Satan, then we better learn to love that. Without that understanding of the gospel, you and I will be spiritually impotent. We will be spiritually powerless without that power of the gospel. Without a clear understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ, our very souls are endangered by the flames of hell because what you don't know can truly harm you. What people don't know can harm them, can send them to hell. Without a clear understanding of the gospel, we cannot share the gospel with its full power, with its full witness. And then, once we share it, we will witness transformed lives by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Have you ever wondered why there's times that when the gospel is shared, it seems like it's shared and it's done in a powerless way? There's just no transforming power that takes place behind it. Oftentimes, I have found it's because the wrong gospel is being shared or the incomplete gospel is being shared, and that's why it's inadequate. That's why it's powerless, because we need to share the fullness of the gospel. That's the power to change and to transform lives. So let me just kind of ask a couple simple questions that we've already begun to answer, but why is defining the gospel so important? Why is defining this gospel, God's gospel, so important? Well, we've already mentioned it, but I need to say it again, and I'd like to have you write it down just so that way it's committed to your memory. To even be a Christian, you need to embrace the gospel. To even be a Christian, a Christ follower, you must embrace the full gospel of Jesus Christ. If you haven't, you're not a Christian. Because that is the power of God unto salvation. By the way, the gospel, the euanglion, as we're going to learn here in the next couple of weeks, it's all about your rich salvation. I'm going to, I'm going to do two series that are kind of, in my, in my view, that they fit together. Actually, these past, uh, the, the last series, this series, and the next series, in my mind, they, they fit together kind of hand and glove to where we've talked about God's plan of salvation. Now we're going to talk about defining what the gospel is. And then, I, I think there's many Christians who get stuck in a rut after that they've embraced the gospel because they don't discover the depth and the richness of their salvation so they can never enjoy the fullness of their salvation because they don't know the benefits of it. I, uh, I had uh, bought a Cub Cadet tractor when, when Jamie and I bought the home that we have um, up in Wren. And the guy that I bought the, the tractor off of, he, he met me at a Cub dealer that he had do all the servicing and that he had bought the, the tractor from. And as, as, um, as we were kind of talking before I loaded it up onto the trailer, um, he was kind of going through and he was doing his best to show me a couple things. And I said, oh, and there's even a little cruise control. And he stops and he says, I didn't know this thing had a cruise control. 
I probably wouldn't have sold it if I knew that it had a cruise control. Like, this is your last chance. But how, how often have you, do, do you have a car that you've, that you've kind of had the car maybe for years and then you discover that there's a new little accessory on the car? Or how about this? I'm discovering this all the time with cell phones. Oh, I didn't know my phone could do that. And then suddenly we get a greater benefit out of whatever it is that we have. That's what's happening with Christians and their salvation. There's so many times where Christians don't realize the great benefits of our salvation, so we can't enjoy the fullness of our salvation because we don't know what it is. And so we're going to take time in our next series and define the depths and the richness of our rich salvation. So, so when the fullness of the gospel is not being presented, that is to say, the, the dimensions of the gospel that God has taught, when, when they're not being fully presented, the fullness of Christianity can't be experienced, if at all. That's why there's times that the gospel presentation seems to be powerless because it's not really the full gospel presentation. The more that we understand this gospel, God's gospel, as the Apostle Paul will write about it in the book of Romans, the more that we understand God's gospel, the more what ends up happening is the more we believe it. And we don't believe it just because we're learning all these little apologetic facts and all these historical facts. We believe it more because God confirms it more and more and more in us. Have you ever had one of these moments to where, um, have you ever eaten a lemon head? A lemon head? What's the first taste that you're going to have when you have a lemon head? What's it going to be? Is it going to be, what? Is it going to be sweet or sour? Is a lemon head sweet or sour? Sweet initially, and then it's... Now, let me tell you, who ever told you that they were sweet and sour? You just kind of know, ooh, that's sour. Ooh, that's sweet. That's what happens with our salvation, is God begins to confirm in us, and we don't need somebody explaining every mechanical detail behind it and every little dynamic. God begins to confirm in us, and somehow we know in our knower that that's what God has done. And the richness and the fullness of the gospel becomes more alive to us. So the more that we understand the gospel, the more that we'll believe it. The more that we believe it, the more that you and I will begin to rely on it. In other words, we're going to begin to trust it more and more. We're going to, as Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, we're not going to learn, lean more on our own understanding. We're going to learn on the, lean on the understanding that God has clearly given us in the gospel, given us in His holy word. We begin to rely on God because we trust Him more and more and more. I, I, I've been seeing this with my daughter. She's at this place, and even with Evan at, at two years old, th there'll be times that Taylor, she'll be up on her swing set, and she'll just be like, oh, and she'll just like, you know, like the mosh pit, just jump. And she jumps because she believes that daddy's not going to go, whoops. <laughs> Daddy will end up with a trip to the ER if I do that. I catch her. She has this childlike belief that daddy can do all this stuff. 
that daddy's that way. And that's the trust and the faith. It's taught me lessons about how much we as Christians need to rely on God's gospel. By the way, the more that you believe it, the more that you rely on it, the greater and the deeper and more meaningful your worship will be. Why? Because your worship is not about the music. Have you ever thought about this? Worship is not about music. Worship is about seeing how great and awesome and powerful God is and who we are, our position before Him, and how really worthless we are, and yet how great God has, has pulled us out of that worthless position and made us heirs with Jesus Christ. That's what happens in worship. The more that we discover what the gospel is, the less it becomes about the music and the notes and all this kind of stuff. The more it becomes about God. That's what worship's about anyhow. Worship, by the way, the, by the, way the music is never about you. If, if, the, if you think the music is about you, you've got something wrong. The, worship isn't, the music isn't about you. It is about God and who God is, and and what God has done. And the more that you embrace and love the gospel, the more you begin to discover that richness. The more that you embrace the gospel, the deeper your faith grows, the deeper it will flourish. You begin to experience the power of God because you personally know God. Now listen, on the other hand, the implications of understanding or misunderstanding the gospel, they have all kinds of ripple effects. So, So, at the core of who you are, at the core of your understanding of God is the gospel. How well you understand it or how well you misunder or how poorly you misunderstand it will have ripple effects, you know, like throwing a stone into a pond, right, and you see all the ripples. It will have ripple effects through every dimension of your life. It will impact what you do. It will impact how you spend your money. It will impact who you spend time with. It will impact the language that you use. It will impact what you think about. It will impact the thoughts that you entertain and the thoughts that you reject and that you run from. It will impact every dimension of your life. It will impact your job. It will impact your coworkers. It will impact your family. What you believe or misbelieve or misunderstand about God will impact every dimension of your life. For example, let me kind of give you a couple examples. If you believe the gospel, hopefully you will learn to trust Jesus. If you learn to trust Jesus, you will become more molded into Jesus' likeness because of his teachings. You will understand the word. You'll trust the word more and more. Another possibility on the other side of the coin is that you don't believe the gospel, that you actually reject the gospel. Well, then you don't believe Jesus and you won't be formed by any of his teachings. That, by the way, is why you and I as Christians can't superimpose Christian ideals, Christian lifestyles on the unbelieving world. Sure, it'd be nice if they were moral and ethical and all these nice things. But you can't expect them to be held to that standard. Why? Because they're the world. They're sons of Satan. Now listen, that isn't, that isn't always good to talk about in relationships. Suddenly talk to somebody and say, by the way, you're the spawn of Satan. But what the reality of it is, is that either you have been snatched by the power and the clutches of Satan, 
in that you've been translated into the kingdom of light through the power of God, through Christ Jesus, or that you're still going to hell. And the Bible says that those folks are sons and daughters of Satan. They aren't going to believe what we have come to believe. Listen, there's a third possibility. There's a third possibility that you've heard a false gospel. That is to say, false teachings about what it means to be a Christian. Let me give you a prime example. God wants you to be wealthy. God wants you to never experience suffering. In fact, if you're obeying God, you won't experience those things. That's false. Run as fast as you can from people who teach those kinds of things. Because they're leading people away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. And my fear is is they're leading people towards hell. And if these people have heard a false gospel, they're believing things that aren't true. In other words, what they're really believing is lies. Sure, that person may be using a little bit of Scripture here and there as a footnote, but they're twisting it to the reality of God's truths. And so what ends up happening is you have, is you have lots of people who are being deceived and buying into these lives, and they'll never experience the richness of God's salvation. Why? Because they're believing lies. They're not believing the truth of God's gospel. By the way, um, this confusion, <clears throat> a great example, let me back up. There's another great example. As there's denominations out there today that are falsely and wrongly teaching that in order to be saved, that you need to speak in tongues. Have you ever heard that kind of stuff? That you need to speak in tongues, and if you haven't spoken in tongues, then you're not really saved. The Apostle Paul deals with this whole issue, and he rebukes it. You know what those, those denominations are doing? They're lying about God's gospel. They're teaching people things that aren't true. And so hordes of people are being taught things that don't line up with God's great salvation. That's a false gospel. And by the way, what ends up happening, because of all these false gospels that are out there, it's contributed to the confusion of defining what the gospel is and what the gospel isn't. Because there's so many different opinions, and people are just generating opinions out of their own imagination rather than going to the truth of the Word of God, there's a lot of confusion that happens in defining what the gospel is. By the way, um, the confusion about what the gospel is and what the gospel isn't, it's nothing new. It, it's been around since apostolic times. It's, it's been around since Jesus taught the gospel. We, we have clear evidence of that within the Scriptures. Um, the Galatian church, even the reason that the Apostle Paul wrote the letter that we have in the New Testament that's called Galatians was because of a heresy, was because of a false gospel. You see, there was a group of people called the Judaizers that were saying, hey, listen, all these Gentiles that have not been circumcised like the Jews, 
you need to be circumcised in order to be saved. So it's not enough for God's gift and grace of salvation um, to believe and to trust in Him. No, you need to then put a work on top of that, and that work is the work of circumcision. And the whole, the whole book of, the, of Galatians is all about the Apostle Paul teaching why that is wrong, why that is a false gospel. By the way, it didn't only happen in Galatia, in the region of Galatia, which is modern-day Turkey. It also happened in Corinth. I, I, I want to take you to Galatians um, chapter uh, 3, verses 1 through 9, and reveal to you click, quickly about this Galatian heresy, and then I want to take you to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 to illustrate right from the Scriptures this problem of uh, defining the gospel, it's nothing new. Listen to Paul's words. Now listen, they're harsh words. That's because when we see a false gospel, how do, you, how do you confront a false gospel? You confront a false gospel, by the way, harshly, brutally. That's how we deal with sin, by the way. We need to brutally deal with sin in our lives so that God could extricate that sin out and so that we can be made more and more like Jesus Christ. Here we go. Listen to Paul's words. Oh, foolish Galatians. What a good way to get everybody to listen. Oh, foolish Galatians. Who has, listen to this word, who's bewitched you? Who has, who has taken you and twisted all this stuff that God has presented to you and has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Do you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain, in, order, in other words, are you guys really saved? Because you're not saved by works, you're saved by the Spirit and the power of God. Now listen, that's not always something that we think is, is such a comforting and warm, fuzzy question. Asking somebody directly, are you really even saved? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and, and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted for him as, as righteousness? Listen, the way that people have always come into access with God the Father has been by faith, not by works. And any time that someone tells you, by the way, you need faith and Start going, la, 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 It's false. It's wrong. And that's exactly what was happening here in the churches in the region of Galatia. And then again in 1 Corinthians, and I want to finish with that passage this morning. <clears throat> All of this to illustrate the crisis in defining the gospel. <clears throat> Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you. By the way, the Apostle Paul spent three years in Corinth. It was, it was perhaps his, his favorite place 
to do ministry. And after he had left, he hears about all these problems that are taking place within the church. They're starting to believe things that were inaccurate. And so he writes them this letter, 1 Corinthians. Now I remind you, brothers, of the gospel, the euangelion that I preached to you, which you received and in which you now stand. In other words, I believe that you genuinely received the true gospel of Jesus Christ and that you're standing upon those promises. That's what we sung about here this morning. Standing upon those promises of God. But wait, and by which you're being saved. You're saved by the power of the gospel. Now listen, if you hold fast to the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. In other words, you need to hold on to these truths. And if you don't hold on to these truths, your trust and your belief has been all in vain, if you really believed. And, and, and the reality of it is, is they truly don't believe. You see, we, have, we see this evidence all the time today. We have people who self-identify themselves as Christians. Ninety-some percent of Americans would self-identify themselves as following Christ. Let me tell you, the reality of it is, is if ninety-some percent of Americans truly followed Jesus Christ, embraced the gospel, we would have a different America. We'd have a different United States. Why? Because belief and trust in God means something. You just can't intellectually ascend and say, you know what, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. According to the book of James, even the demons believe and yet they tremble. Why? Because judgment is coming. It's not enough to just believe that Jesus is the Son of God. You must repent from our sins, and we're going to talk about that in the next couple of weeks. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. The most important, the first important thing, the most important thing for a Christian is what? The gospel. Because without the gospel, you don't have anything. Without the gospel, you don't have the benefits and the richness of salvation. You can't enjoy the things of God without the gospel. That's why he says, I deliver to you as of first importance the gospel. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive today. While I'm writing this, there's still hundreds of people who saw the resurrected Jesus and they're walking around and they're living testimonies of the resurrected Jesus. You can go and you can ask them. Though some have fallen asleep, in other words, some have died. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, the apostle Paul. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Because, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, good Popeye phrase, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, 
I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I. It was the grace of God that is in me. So whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. At the end of the day, preaching and the point of preaching, at the end of the day, the gathering of the church of Jesus Christ, what's it about? The gospel, the good news. That's why we worship God. Is because we don't see God as just a just God and a holy God and a loving God, but because God has delivered to us once for all his great salvation through Jesus Christ. And in the sharing of that, there's power. And that power is not of your or eyes uh, or yours or, or mine manufacturing. We don't make the gospel what it is. God does everything. That way, when somebody comes to Christ, we participate, but the harvest belongs to God. So at the end of the day, what does all this stuff mean? It means, in my opinion, we have a real crisis on our hands. I remember um, 9-11. Do you guys remember 9-11? I can remember where I was, you know, when... When I got the news, I was actually at a pastor's meeting when I, when I got the news about the first plane that ran into the Twin Tower. I remember the following weeks how, how there was a sense of crisis. There was a sense that something's wrong, and so people flocked to churches all across the nation. Do you guys remember about two months after 9-11, things seemed to get back to normal? And people who had once sensed the urgency and sensed the crisis, eh, we're just going to get used to it. And so, it's funny how people turn to God when there's this great sense of urgency. Listen, we have a great sense of urgency, and you and I need to feel it and sense it. And that's the issue. The people don't know what the gospel is. People that are unbelievers have not maybe ever heard the gospel. And there's people that are gathering in churches all across this globe, especially here in the United States, that they've gone to church and yet they still don't know the gospel. We have a real crisis on our hands. Let me ask you this. Can you, can you raise your hand? Can I ask a little audience participation? How many of you want to see people go to heaven and be snatched out of hell? How many of you want to see that? By the way, every hand should be up. Let me ask it again. How many of you want to see people not go to hell? Do you care? Do you love people? We, we have been changed by God. If indeed you have been changed by God, you should not want people to go to hell. Here's another question, by the way. How many of you, how many of you as a Christian, you want to experience the transformational power of Jesus in your own life? Show of hands, nice and high. Some of you do, some of you still don't, evidently. We should crave the transformational power of Jesus Christ in our lives. That's what the power of the gospel does. 
One last question. How many of you want to discover the depths and the richnesses of your salvation that you may have never even tasted yet? How many of you want to discover what God is doing? It is my hope and my prayer that each of you, that if you've been saved by Jesus Christ, that those are driving forces behind you. And if you haven't been saved by Jesus Christ, that you'll be touched by the power of God's gospel and that your life will be changed. And maybe, maybe that you're, you're an unbeliever today and maybe you're in a place to where you, you, you've looked around and you've seen Christians and you're kind of like, well, if that's what a Christian is, I don't want to be a part of that. Because obviously they don't have any power, they don't have any change in your life. Let me tell you, that person is not experiencing the fullness of Jesus Christ in their life. Because when Jesus gets a hold of somebody, when the power of the gospel meets us, it changes us. It has to, because that's God's design for the gospel. So during this series... I, I want to encourage you, stay tuned. I, I believe that the truth that we're going to share in this series, you're not going to want to miss a week. You're not going to want to miss a moment because you're going to discover the truth of God's gospel given to us directly from God himself. And then we're going to do a follow-up and say, not only do I want you to know about the gospel, the center of who you are, but I want, you to, I want you to know the depth and the richness of that salvation. Because if you haven't tasted those things, you're not a believer. Do you hear that? If you haven't tasted those things, if you haven't begun to say, as Jesus taught, do you remember all the way in the Sermon on the Mount series, for those of you who have been here? If you haven't come to a place to where you begin to hunger and thirst after righteousness, let me, let me throw this out to you. You probably aren't a believer. Why? Because God does something. He throws out the old and he makes something completely new so that the heart that's placed inside of us longs and yearns for God. And if your heart is not a heart that longs and yearns for God, listen for the gospel. Because what will end up happening is your life will be changed forever. Not just in this lifetime, but also in eternity to come. So let me tie this up and make it into a nice little present and give you three take-home thoughts. The gospel needs to be clearly understood. That's where we're going in the next couple weeks. We're going to define the gospel. We're going to clearly take a couple weeks to talk about what the gospel is, and then we're going to defend the gospel and talk about what it is not. Because at the end of the day, Paul wrote to Timothy, and he's writing also to us, that message has been superintended and, and watched over for thousands of years so that it could be delivered to you and I, to always be ready in season and out of season to give a reason for the hope that's given within you. What is that? That's the gospel. So we're going to define it. We're going to defend it. By the way, we're going to deliver the gospel. We're going to clearly share the gospel. And we're even going to teach you how to share the gospel clearly and succinctly with your friends and your neighbors. How can you clearly, in a couple sentences, in under three minutes, share the gospel with somebody? We're going to teach you how to do that. 
We're going to disciple you. We're going to define, we're going to defend, we're going to deliver, and we're going to disciple the gospel. We need to clearly understand this gospel. The power of the gospel to change lives is tied to a correct understanding of the gospel. If you want to embrace and experience the power of the gospel, you got to clearly know what it is. And the degree to which you understand it or don't understand it will be the degree to which you see life change. Lastly, real life in Christ is experienced by a gospel-saturated life. How many Christians have you and I maybe talked to? And really, if they could, if they could be genuine with us, if they could, if they could just be really honest and open with us, so many Christians are saying, "I just don't get. I, I, I feel like there should be more to Christianity, to this Christian thing, and I'm just not getting it." It's because your life isn't gospel saturated. When your life becomes gospel-saturated, something happens, and it begins to define who you are. You are not created for this world. You are not created for yourself. By the way, listen to this. God didn't even redeem you just because of you. Do you hear that? God didn't even redeem you just because of you. God redeemed you to demonstrate His great glory and power and how He is going to preserve a people, a remnant, people that He's going to call out of darkness to demonstrate His justice, to demonstrate His love. God called us. Listen, in the next couple weeks, I want to encourage you to stay tuned. Don't miss a week. If you're not here, listen to us on the internet. Pick up a CD. you got to get this series because I don't want you to be one of the millions, perhaps billions of people who misunderstand the gospel. I want you to understand right from the mouth of God given to us through the, the words of the Scripture what God has to say about His saving work that we call the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's amazing, it's rich, it's powerful, and it's why we love him. So let's do this together. Let me invite the worship team to come up.